Football season will be here quicker than you think. When planning your football trips, we know that one of the biggest pains is arranging your pregame tailgate party. This season, let gridirontailgates.com take care of all of your tailgating needs. They provide everything for your large private party, including a private party tent, tables, satellite TV, catering, a personal bartender, and setup and takedown. Visit gridirontailgates.com and enter promo code PAC12, P-A-C-1-2, to receive 10% off your group's next tailgate or call 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com are here to make your tailgate experience easy, affordable, and enjoyable. Again, that phone number is 303-359-5328. Gridirontailgates.com. Enter code PAC12. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done, ZipRecruiter.com slash POC. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash POC. That's ziprecruiter.com slash POC. ziprecruiter.com slash POC. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the podcast of champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football, previewing the 2018 season. We're doing some Oregon and Oregon State talk today, so we're still up in the... uh, Pac-12 North, if you wanted to send in any kind of questions to us, lots of ways you can. You can email us, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com is the email. If you want to tweet us, at Pac-12podcast. And our website is Pac-12podcast.com. You can find all of our old episodes. And you can even call us. If you want to call us, we're not going to answer, but you can leave a voicemail. You can text us, too. Dave might text you back. I probably won't. 424-532-0678 is the number. And David, I'm really excited for the show, talking Oregon and Oregon State. A couple of my favorite people we're going to talk yes, to. Yes, very much so. Two of our favorite people in the 24-7 Sports Network. Right now, we are on the line with Angie Machado, publisher and owner of BeaverBlitz.com, uh, the site covering Oregon State football, basketball, the whole nine yards for 247. You can uh, find Angie on Twitter at Angie Machado one on twitter angie how's it going it is good you forgot national championship baseball team too Let's oh god that. how could i forget oh my gosh 
seriously, what, David. What, when last we spoke, we were talking about the potential for that, and it oh, happened. That's it huge. Because, you know, not a lot to talk about football-wise, but, you know, we might as well talk a little baseball. But, no, it's football, and there's lots of uh, excitement right now. How big was it? How big was it around campus and, and around your site when they won the championship? Oh, it's big. I mean, it's huge, um, especially the way that that it happened, um, you know, with, I mean, Arkansas having it kind of in the bag and that foul ball that, it was a foul ball, two outs, bottom of the or top of the night or bottom of the ninth, top of the ninth. I don't remember which one, but um, I guess it was top of the ninth, two outs and a foul ball. In Arkansas, three guys went for it and let it fall between them. So um, very, very the, the kid had a, an extra shot, hit a, a field a line drive, scored a run, tied the game, and then a two run homer sent that game five to three. Oregon State wins and takes it to game three, which they dominated. So very fun around campus. Yeah, no joke out there, everyone. Oregon State is the dominant Pac-12 college, uh, you know, baseball champion. I mean, they're just they're they're, they're top line, and we want to we want to say that up front but, because we're going to get oh, this it's football, football time talk. now. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to talk football. Yeah. Well, like we mentioned, this is our Oregon State Beavers <laughs> preview. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. You love that. That's awesome and bad and awesome. Yeah. We don't do a lot of cool stuff on this show, but that's one of them. That's, you know, and that, 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 that wasn't done by us. Those were sent in by a Every listener. time I hear that, I laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think the Cougars one is the one that makes me laugh because it's just a cat meowing. Yes. Yes. It's a funny one. Too. You want to hear it yeah. just for the for. Yeah. OK, here we go. Start up. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> <laughs> And like cougar's really a badass animal, so it doesn't really do it justice. No, no, okay. it's pretty fantastic, regardless. Yeah, it is. Um, so we got a lot to cover with Oregon State because a lot of changes at Oregon State this off season. Um, I even think on Jonathan Smith's staff, he's had the first change with Mike Riley leaving. Uh, but let's talk what what is kind of the situation now from a coaching perspective. Is there any carryover from the former staff, or is it a whole new guard? A whole new guard, entirely new staff new support staff um everything's new except two recruiting guys have stayed on um but it's, it's a whole new regime and honestly i i can't even tell you the change in culture that has happened at oregon state in the past you know six nine months um you know that practice a used to be closed completely to the media we got like the last 10 minutes um and i'll never forget talking to some players and parents before spring ball this year and their guys they hated football there were guys ready to quit because football was no fun anymore um they'd been berated yelled at screamed at for several years and they were done and this coaching staff not only now has had to change the scheme and evaluate everything they've had they've had to change the culture and um being at practice now it's the guys are having fun they're smiling you see coaches wives with their little kids running around on the sidelines and the the players playing with them it's it's that family atmosphere again and those players who thought football was not fun any longer are having fun again. So that, you know, has been the biggest change that we've seen during this offseason. I think that buys you, obviously buys you some time. People are happy. Um, you're ready to, you know, buy into, uh, you know, what the head coach is saying. You, you're ready to buy into what Jonathan Smith's saying because it might take a little while. So I think that at least buys you some time. That doesn't go forever. I mean, I, there's been a lot of coaches that uh, have had great environments. So do you feel like with the changes, like it's it's a nice, the culture's changed, like you said, do you feel like it's going in the right direction? 
It is. It's going in the right direction. But yeah, it's baby steps, obviously. Um, you know, there's obviously a talent, you know, talent wise, there is talent. You know, I don't want to say that there's not talent on this roster, but the depth isn't there. So, you know, building that, getting the type of players that Jonathan wants, you know, I, I look at two guys that stood out during a scrimmage on Saturday and Josiah Irish, a wide receiver out of Washington, true freshman, and then Jamar Jefferson running back out of Los Angeles. And both those guys were like outstanding true freshmen. And they were both guys brought in by Smith and his staff in January. So, um, you know, the types of players they want, the type of work ethic that they're looking for, you know, coach Smith had two guys quit, two true freshmen quit midway through the summer bridge program too hard too too much. So, um, you know, weeding out guys that, that can't handle what, what the staff is doing. Um, it's going to take time. It is definitely going to take time, but to watch the coaching, I mean, they've gone right back to fundamentals. It is, tackling 101 they're learning um you know how to wrap up the correct angles and uh, they're going from there you mentioned uh talent can you talk about the returning starters on this squad you know everything is up in the air right now um the look is going to be completely different offensive line is probably one of the biggest areas where you'll see names you, you recognize with gus lavaca sumner houston blake brandell but um you know there's been quite a turnover. Um, no job was like a given art Pierce running back is, is pretty much a, a locket starting running back position, but quarterback is still up in the air. Um, wide receivers, you're going to see different guys just because of, of the new, a new regime. Linebackers are going to have a different look as well. Um, I'm excited to see key Wetzel. I, I know some of you guys saw him at PAC 12 media day. He just is electric, just as a person. Just he's got a smile that lights up a room. But that kid off the edge is incredible. So um, you know, returning starters, there's there's some Kelani Vakamelalo, defensive tackle. He's a name that um, you know, Pac-12 fans will know. But um, there's a lot of jobs that are still in flux right now um, as they move into week two of, of fall camp. Can you say that name again? Because that really rolled off the tongue. Kelani Vakamelalo. Wow. You do that well. Ryan, Ryan would butcher that oh. all day long. <laughs> I would butcher it right now. I, I can handle the poly names. The poly names I can handle. Some of the other guys I can't. What it turns out is that they're just phonetic. Like yeah. it's you yeah. just pronounce every single thing in the in the name and you'll be in pretty good shape. And you're, um, and you're good. Yeah. Um, so obviously new everything. Got to be some scheme changes from what they were doing in the past. What's Jonathan Smith bringing offensively from, say, what he was doing at Washington? What is it looking like defensively just from a scheme perspective heading into this year? Offensively, you know, Jonathan says that, you know, he'll be taking some things that they did at Washington, but also blending that with offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren, who came from Colorado. He was offensive coordinator at Colorado and kind of some things that they did. Yet he has come, you know, both Washington and Colorado had some mobility at quarterback, but then they go and say that they want to be a pro style offense. So I looking at that, you know, Oregon State has Jake Luton returning who he was injured with a fractured vertebrae back in like game four of last season. He's that, you know, six foot six total pocket passer, not mobile at all. Kind of Sean Mannion esque. If you remember Sean Mannion back in the day. Oh, yeah. um, and then Oregon state has a couple younger guys. Um, they have a JC transfer and Jack Coletto. They have a walk on turn scholarly player in Connor Blount who both maybe don't throw quite as great of a deep ball, but yet have some mobility to them. They're not going to, they're not a complete RPO package, but yet are comfortable uh, escaping in the, in the pocket. So, um, you know, those guys, what we haven't seen is consistency from any, any three of those guys. So, um, and I know that's what the staff's looking for. 
your guess is as good as mine. It's, it's going to be more of a pro style. You're going to see a, a pretty balanced attack, I believe, with, with a run game, pass game. Defensively, I'm excited because I think we see a lot of scheme. Uh, defensive coordinator Tim Tibisar is, I mean, he was a four point. He graduated and played football at North Dakota, but um, has coached for, you know, he coached for the Chicago Bears. He came from Wisconsin where he was the linebacker coach. Um, has some, you know, he coached at K State for a year. Has some, you know, different, different tendencies. He wants guys to be technically sound. They're going to be running a three, four base. So, um, look for a lot of disguised blitz packages and, uh, lots of, you know, safety blitzes. We'll see, we'll see some linebackers come up with a hand down. So you'll see a lot of uh, different looks from the defense. Let's, uh, let's talk a little schedule. Um, Angie, wanted to see what your thoughts on the schedule are, any kind of quirks, just, um, you know, the, the, the teams that, that Oregon State misses are UCLA and Utah in the South, um, by in the middle, you know, middle of the, uh, of the season week seven, of course, a road trip to Ohio State's not a great way to, to get your coaching career started, but what do you think overall? <laughs> like that? Yeah. With the schedule. Yeah. The schedules, I, yeah, that you know, body bag game to, um, Ohio state to start Jonathan Smith's tenure off. Um, we, Oregon state plays Arizona and Arizona state in September, which, um, I, I, I like that. I like meeting up with those guys early, um, two new coaching staffs. I, I think that is good. October is okay. What was brutal is December or November. If you look at November and it's got USC, Washington and Oregon all on that slate in November, Oof. brutal. Brutal stretch. So, um, but yeah, I mean, aside from that, Oregon State does have to go on the road and play at Nevada in week three, which, um, you know, two road games as you're out of conference, then they have Utah, Southern Utah at home for their home openers. So, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's not an amazingly awesome schedule, but um, I guess to have a couple of those teams with new coaches early and then, like I said, it's it's kind of murderers row in November for him. Might be a new coach in the first game too. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> you never know. I mean, that's a lot of. He's lot not of the coach right now, right? And that'll and that'll tell the tale. All right, when uh, when Ohio State has a new coach, that's what Oregon State will ride to victory. Yes, game, there you go. Right? Yeah. Um, all right. So typically at this point, we ask what's the trap game, but I don't know if that question makes like a tremendous amount of sense for Oregon State. So I'm going to put a wrinkle on that. What's the game where you think they have the best chance of scoring what will be maybe an unexpected upset? Like, what are you what are you eyeballing when you're looking at the schedule as a potential upset pick? You know, I I think Washington State is a, is a home game in uh, what is that week six? That's, you know, new quarterback for the Cougars. I, I think that could be a one to watch Arizona State on the road. I, I don't like that. I don't know. I'd like to say that one, but I don't just because I think Herm Edwards is so quirky and I don't really know what we're <laughs> going to see from them. Right. But um, I'd say Washington State or Cal. I mean, Oregon State usually plays Cal pretty tough. That's the week after the bye then. So you have Washington State, bye, and then Cal. Um, those those two, that Washington State and Cal game, if, if Oregon State's going to get a upset in the Pac-12, those are the two. Yeah, so I'm looking at November, and I forgot Stanford's in the mix. So USC at home, at Stanford, at Washington, and then Oregon at home. Yeah, how oh. about that November? Ugh, that's rough. <laughs> that's not great. Welcome that's to the not, league. No, that, that's not great for anybody. No, no, but you know, whatever. Welcome to the league, Jonathan Smith. All right. Yes. Um, okay. So to get one of those upsets Dave was talking about, probably going to need 
some impact freshmen, any potential guys that if you're listening, you know, you're a fan of Cal or you're a fan of Utah and you want to know what's going on with Oregon State, who are some of these impact freshmen you think could come in and, and do something? Oh, like I said, I, I already mentioned to Josiah Irish and Jermar Jefferson um, on offense, both um, had a really, really solid performance at the um, Case Rogers, too, with another uh, true freshman running back that that actually looked good on Saturday. Defensively, I like some of the young guys. I mean, Key Wetzel's a, a young guy. Um, we have Deshaun Wilson. He's a true freshman as well, um, cornerback. Look for him to to make some noise as well. Um, and then a couple younger. Um, Hamilcar Rashad is a linebacker, a sophomore, who has kind of opened some eyes. And then David Morris, that's not going to be a surprise to anyone, but a, a true sophomore safety who um, kind of broke out last season as a true freshman. And last but not least, Jeffrey Manning, and uh, he's a redshirt freshman, safety, and has looked very, very solid. Super high football IQ from him. So expect big things from him as well. Um, and then we've already gone over this a little bit um, in terms of posi- position battles since basically every spot is Everything. open. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when you're eyeballing maybe the ones that you're paying the most attention to, I imagine quarterback is one, but maybe um, go through some of the big position battles and uh, who you think might end up on top. Yeah. The, the quarterback is obviously the biggest one right now. Um, also watching the running back. I mean, I think Art Pierce has the, the number one spot locked up, but then you have the backups and Calvin Tyler kind of came into the fall as being the guy, but now he's been sitting out with nursing a hamstring injury and with that, then you have a guy like Case or Jermar that have been making a, a play for that spot. B.J. Baylor's right in that mix as well. But when you have guys that are injured and then other guys are stepping up. So that's that's one. The center is also a, a position I'm watching. Sumner Houston is back. He was the center last year. Um, has struggled some. And we've seen a little Yanni DeMajorantis recently, the past week or the past like three days of practice. We've seen him in the mix uh, snapping the ball. So Kind of some some question marks there. Linebackers are pretty set um, with Key, um, Andre Hughes, Murray, so those guys. Um, and then corner, some openings there. I'm just I'm just waiting to see. I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say position battles, um, but you know Jay Irvine tweaked a, a shoulder, so he, he's as Jonathan Smith said on Friday, he's out for a minute. So I don't know. <laughs> Your definition of a minute and mine might be different, but he's out for a minute. Um, <laughs> I love the terminology. He's out for a minute. Okay. That's that's a very that's a very young guy terminology. Yeah. That's, yes, that's, yes. He's got he's his finger on the pulse. Yes, yeah. he's out for a minute. Yet I saw him at the scrimmage in a sling. So yeah, minute. Yeah, minute meaning uh, six to seven weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that was one of the big the big hits with Oregon State was. Jeremy Reichner was a, a defensive lineman, defensive tackle, defensive end that kind of had come out of, came in as a JC transfer. It looked really good that first couple days of uh, fall camp, looked good at spring camp, and then broke his foot. And so uh-huh. he's he's out for a little more than a minute, but just a few games is what we, we've been told. So, um, All right. So because you're not sure who's going to start and who's going to be where, would you be able to characterize like a strength of this team right now? Where, where would you think that would lie? Offensively, I like the running backs. I think um, that's really where um, Oregon State, if they can get help up front, you know, Oregon State has struggled so much the past few years, both on both sides of the trenches and the offensive and defensive line. So if that offensive line can can gel under Coach Mahalachek, which he's one of the best O-line coaches in, in the Pac-12, my opinion, 
Um, you know, if he can get those guys to gel some running back is the position I think could be a huge strength for the Beavers on offense. Defensively. I love the linebackers. They're aggressive. They're fast. We'll see a lot of disguised blitzes. Um, it's just a matter of, will they be on the field too long and, and be tired? So, and, and can they get help up front as well? Because we've seen too often, you know, the past two years, at least with Oregon state, the defensive line gets no push and it puts too much pressure on the linebackers and secondary. And then on the flip side, um, uh, what are the major weaknesses? Obviously, maybe up front on defense. You just kind of touched oh, on defensive, that a bit. Yeah, defensive line completely is a, is a weakness right now. And honestly, in my opinion, I, I would say quarterback is a weakness. And um, I, Oregon State does not have any, any commits from the 2019 class. 2020 is going to be huge to go out and get a top caliber quarterback because we're seeing no – I mean, are some of these guys serviceable, yes, Um but it's nobody that's going to come out. And, you know, I say that, but yet the head coach is a former walk-on that, you know, took Oregon State to a number four ranking in the country. So um, one of these guys just needs to step up and, and lead the team. And need, they just need to be consistent. And right now I'm not seeing that. Did you, do you not feel like that Jake, it's Luton, right? Did you say Luton? Yeah. Luton. Uh, Luton. Yeah. You, it just seemed like he could have easily been that guy, but it doesn't seem, sound like you're all that high on him. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's interesting. I it's it'll be interesting to see what that, you know, he's a senior. You, do you go for the future? Do you go I personally don't like a quarterback that's immobile. I mean, he is not mobile at all. So, um to me that that puts the offense at a disadvantage because then you're 11 versus 10. I'm not saying you have to be, you know, um some running back back there, but it, it's nice to have some escapability. He yeah. had some glimmers. He had some moments. And then we also saw some really bad decisions from him the four games he played. So, um, like I said, he has – the coaches love him. They love his size. They love that he can throw the deep ball. But, like I said, the inconsistency is why he hasn't taken the job outright. Any other sort of interesting notes or that you've seen so far? Or, you know, I, I, you've talked about the culture change. But anything kind of you would like to talk about from fall camp or heading into the season? No, you know, I, I just think it's going to be a different look, Beavers. Um, you know, for teams and, and for fans that think that they're going to be the 1-11 in 11 Beavers, and, and they may may very well maybe win, you know, two or three games this year, but it will they will be improved. Even if it's a baby step and you might not see it unless you follow them every single day, day in and day out, it's a, it's a team that's that's improving. So, um, like I said, they, they may shock a team or two just because I think the staff is – very, very um, tactical. They'll they'll find a way to outsmart somebody and and out scheme somebody. But um, it's 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 a process. It's not going to just be overnight. Um, we we also got a couple of questions from um, one of our listeners, Anthony. Um, we'll ask a couple of these, but um, this one is maybe a painful one. What do you think is the floor and the ceiling for this team this season from a record perspective? Oh, floor, I say one, one, you know, one to two and I ceiling, I mean, five, that'd be a pretty, I think pretty gutsy five wins. So one, one, one win to five wins. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can see it when you're looking at the schedule too, because there is Southern Utah on here. Nevada won't be great. Um, either of the Arizonas, like you could see something happening yeah, there, Washington yeah. state or Cal, you can see that happening. You could see Colorado, like any one of these, 
it's mostly that November that's just brutal. And, yeah, yeah. And the first and the opener against Ohio State. So, like, you know, I look at it, you know, I mean, yeah, they could win one. They could beat Southern Utah and that would be it. But, yeah, like you said, Southern Utah, Nevada, one of the flip one of the Arizonas. There's three wins. Um, Washington, Cal, there's a four. And, and maybe you get lucky with Colorado. Yeah. And is there a, a game you're looking forward to the most uh, covering this season, Angie? I was like, so I grew up an SC fan, so I always love when USC comes to town. That's that's always super fun. Um, yeah, I, Washington State's fun too, just because Coach Leach is—you just never know what he's gonna say or do. <laughs> For sure, awesome. We don't we don't get UCLA and Chip this year, so um, I'm sure Chip's super sad about coming back to to research. <laughs> yeah, he he has to make his Otson return this year. Actually, yeah, that's gonna, gonna be, be just crazy. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, that should be good. Anything else, David? Or we I think we uh I think we're good. Thanks, Angie. Hey, no problem, guys. Thanks so much. All right. So that was great stuff from Angie about Oregon State and all of the uh, happenings there. Sounds you know, I think there's reason for a little bit of optimism, right, Ryan? I think so. I mean, besides the winning the baseball national championship, I think, you know, it's <laughs> gonna go in the right direction. But it could be a tough year. I mean, uh, you hope it's closer to the five wins than the one win, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, shifting gears a little bit, uh, we got to talk Oregon football now with uh, Kevin Wade, uh, who covers Oregon for 247 uh, Sports. You can find Kevin on Twitter at K Wade Says. That's K W A D E S A Y S. Kevin, how's it going? Good. How are you? Can't complain. Can't complain. What does Kevin Wade says right now? What are you saying? I am saying that Oregon is supposedly dropping new uniforms this week. So that's always that's always fun for Twitter. Oregon and their nine nine million uniforms. Are they going to drop some flames uniforms? Some straight fire? They're going to be lit, as the kids say. Oh, (laughs) nice lit uniforms. How is uh, how is Mario Cristobal with the with the Twitters like? uh, is he pretty good on that? He's pretty good. His staff, uh, I think Marcus Arroyo, the offensive coordinator, uh, definitely wins the Twitter game for the on-field coaches. But the entire staff, I mean, with the old, it's hard to say the old staff because Willie Taggart was there last year. But the Mark Helfrich, Chip Kelly era, those guys didn't even have Twitter accounts. I think Mark Helfrich tweeted all of like six times as the head coach of Oregon. Murray Cristobal tweets nonstop, like. I've got Twitter notifications on for him, and it's like one in the morning. He'll be randomly tweeting like, love my team, fired up for practice in all caps. So uh, definitely they understand Twitter is important for recruiting, and it's a good way to connect. So the Oregon coaches love Twitter a little too much, in my opinion. (laughs) I think we've all been there. Well, we're here to talk about Oregon Ducks. Preview in them, what we're going to see for the season. Uh, David, you want to start us off? Yeah, so um, obviously a little bit of changeover in the offseason, sort of, with Mario Cristobal taking over for Willie Taggart. What what kind of were the domino effects? Who else got hired on staff? What have you seen out of Cristobal so far? We want to kind of touch on what coaching changes there have been across the board. Okay, so Oregon really only lost uh, out of six of the ten coaches last season are still there. Cristobal was promoted up. Arroyo becomes the lone offensive coordinator uh, instead of co-offensive coordinator with Mario Cristobal last year. Um, Taggart brought a few of his coaches, three of them over to, or two of them over to um, 
Florida State and then the defensive backs coach, Charles Clark, went to Ole Miss. So the Ducks brought in uh, Dante Williams, uh, former Arizona and Nebraska cornerback coach. Uh, they brought in Jim Mastro from Washington State as running back coach. They brought in Court Dennison, a former Washington player who is most recently at Louisville as linebackers coach. And then they brought in Bobby Williams as the special teams coach. Um, but everybody else is there. Michael Johnson's there. Uh, Joe Salavea is still there. Jim Letta, defensive coordinator. They paid a huge chunk of change to yeah. stay. I think it's like $1.7 million uh, this year. Wow. So, I mean, he's the he, he really is the highest paid defensive coordinator in the Pac-12. I can say that without even having to look it up. Uh, I think there might only be three or four other defensive coordinators or coordinators, period, in college football m- making more than him right now. Pretty crazy. Um, now, we want to talk about the team. What's the returning starter situation look like? I, I hear there's a quarterback that might be pretty good, but what, what besides him, no. What, what else you guys got there? Uh, I think it's key to note that the only graduation from the offensive line last year is Terrell Crosby, uh, who was a senior. But every, the other four offensive linemen return, and there's pretty good depth there. I think they have 17 offensive linemen on the roster right now. Um, the other key returners, the defensive line, you have um, Jordan Scott, uh, who's going to be a sophomore at defensive tackle, nose tackle. And then you've got Jalen Jelks at defensive end, though he is – uh, moving a little bit to be an outside linebacker, as we've noticed the past few practices. Uh, Troy Dye, line, uh, linebacker. And then you've got um, a young secondary with one senior, Ugo Amadi. But then you've got Thomas Graham, Diamador Lenore, um, and a few other guys just back there. Oregon's weakest spot right now is probably wide receiver because it's just so young. But there are a few guys that are looking for into their sophomore seasons to, to step up, like uh, Dylan Mitchell and Johnny Johnson. Um, so it's interesting. So, uh, want to touch on scheme changes next. I know Jim Mastro has a lot of experience with the pistol offense and that whole oeuvre of offensive scheme. Um, are they bringing any elements of that to Oregon, um, to add to that rushing attack? And, uh, is there anything changing defensively under Cristobal that, um, maybe wasn't there under Taggart, uh, on the defensive side of the ball? Based on what we've seen from the spring game, I don't think much has changed defensively. I think it's really Jim Levitt's defense. You'll see a little bit of changes with uh, with the defense backs and um, with uh, Dante Williams there, but that's more positional. It's mostly going to be the, the same Jim Levitt defense as before. Offensively, though, as you mentioned, the pistol has become almost Oregon. It, it seems like Oregon is running a lot out of the pistol in practice. And during the spring game, uh, I counted it was 71 percent of their plays during the spring game. Didn't matter which quarterback was run out of the pistol. So they're basically doing everything out of that shorter drop back kind of shotgun, uh, but not as deep uh, set. And so, I mean, maybe that was just the spring game, but everything we've seen so far of what were the, the 15 minutes that uh 247 is allowed to be inside practice for the media is we're, we're seeing a lot more pistol than i think ever before at oregon do you remember when ucla ran the pistol that was a long time ago that Over was 10 years uh, ago that, no no that was that was the late great rick neuheisel oh, that was rick, yeah it was rick yeah. neuheisel and his passion bucket I yeah, all, yeah totally forgot about that one <laughs> yeah jim master actually was the guy who came in and semi fixed the pistol and made it actually run correctly. So I think if you're an Oregon fan, you should be optimistic that they got him on board. Yeah, uh, I mean, to, Washington to State that had, that, had that pistol down for, for a year or two. 
Yeah. So. Um, well, Kevin, we want to talk about the schedule a little bit. Now, Oregon's schedule is kind of interesting. Uh, week six by, so it's pretty, but it's kind of separated out into sections. So you got the the Bowling Green, Portland State, San Jose State section, which is, you know, the not really a murderer's row of, of out-of-conference games. But then you play the two Bay Area schools. You have a bye week. The two Washington schools. And then all of the Pac-12 South schools and then Oregon State uh, at the end. Skipping Colorado and uh, USC this year, but it's kind of a weird schedule to say. What do you? What's your overall thought on how Oregon's schedule sets up? Yeah, uh, first one. Let's let's get rid of that, or let's talk about that non-conference schedule. Um, Oregon had Texas A&M on the schedule this year, uh, but the Aggies backed out when they moved. Right after they moved to the SEC, there was a conference change clause in that contract, so the Aggies decided to do that. Oregon was too late. They ended up picking up San Jose State on the schedule, and just there just was no other Power Five non-conference teams, uh, is what we've been told. So weak non-conference, they make up for it. Have a Power Five team most years in the future. Uh, then they move right into Stanford. I mean that that's going to be the uh, the only downside of this weak non-conference is that you've got three tune-up games, but then you probably have your toughest game, uh, toughest game. 1A or 1B, depending on how you want to look at it, because you're you're going from easier opponents right to your toughest opponent. You can call those tune-ups and get all your stuff ready. You don't have to give too much away uh, in the non-conference, but you go right into Stanford. That game is going to be probably, I think it's going to be Oregon's toughest, just considering how well Stanford has looked against them, especially last year's massive blowout win in Palo Alto. Fortunately, Oregon has its two toughest games at home. Uh so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And then you have Cal. You go down to Cal. Um, who knows with that game, I think. But then you get the bye right before Washington, which is definitely huge for the Ducks. Uh, this is the year that a lot of people believe that Oregon can actually be competitive. The past two years have not been competitive against Washington. So it was like a 14-year winning streak and two years of UW domination. Now Oregon looks like, hey, they're a team that could beat uh, one of the favorites for the Pac-12, uh, especially since the game's at home. Uh, and and Ryan, just so you know, Bowling Green, not not total garbage this year. Really, they're not they're not going to be good by any stretch of the imagination, but they might be a bowl team. All right, um, but still. So the, the explanation there I thought was funny because the the opponent that they had to fill in at the end was probably the best opponent in their non-conference schedule, San Jose State, and like the other two. Portland State and Bowling Green. Oh yeah, those were just the the solids on the schedule. Um, <laughs> that's, some, that's some that's some that's some good scheduling though. That's some smart scheduling. Yeah, I mean, you, but if, if you think about it, and it was supposed to be a tough team, you open with Bowling Green early game, then you get your non conference Power Five opponent, then you go back and play Portland State, who only won one game. Or no, they didn't win a game last year in the FCS. They they were they lost every game and they. <laughs> Almost won against Oregon State, except for a last-minute missed field goal. So, uh, yeah, they they were winless, except for a very close loss against Oregon State. Yeah, no, this is this is as close as the Pac-12 can get to an F, to a SEC schedule. This is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, all right, so um, if there is a trap game on this schedule, um, what would you say it is? Um, I think that the two track games, in my opinion, are going to be at Arizona and at Utah. The Ducks always have kind of struggled a little bit. I mean, 
they've never really lost in Utah, but it's a difficult place to play. Um, just Oregon's going to have a tough time against Utah. And then Arizona is just coming off that schedule. Um, what they've, if, what they've done against, uh, if they, if they are successful against Stanford and Washington, then they have to go down there and it's just, those are the two games that just feel like the road trips. Oregon didn't do very well on the road. I believe they had one road win last year. So it's not it's not something that the Ducks were good at last year. So those are the two games where you're like, the Ducks probably should win here, but they have a good chance if they're not careful of losing those two. Quick follow-up. Um, then, I mean, the Arizona game and sandwich between Arizona and Utah is the UCLA game. How... How strange is that going to be for a lot of people around Oregon to have Chip Kelly on the opposing sideline for that game in Autzen and that whole deal? And I mean, do, do you anticipate this? I mean, Oregon, obviously, none of these players were around when Chip Kelly was around. But is there going to be some heightened, I don't know, feeling around that game? I think it's going to be interesting. The first 30 minutes before the game to kickoff, I think once kickoff starts, it, it, it's a football game that the Ducks need to win. But that first 30 minutes when Chip Kelly's milling around on the sideline before all the fans are piling in, they're announcing the the teams and the rot, like they're announcing the Oregon starters. Um, obviously, Chip Kelly's the guy that brought Oregon to national promises. Yes, Pilati built them up there, but Chip Kelly's offense is what put Oregon's blur on the map. So there's a lot of fans that I don't think he'll get booted off because he left on great terms. Um, I mean, everyone knew, hey, he wants to go try the NFL. No one was mad about that at the time. So it's going to be interesting to see the reaction of the fans. But I think there's one staffer, Not there's not a single coach, but there's one staffer um, that was around, maybe two that were around during that time. So it, it, it's a very different program, though it does feel like the the marketing effort feels the same. It still feels like Oregon fast offense, flashy uniforms. It's completely different from all the personnel. Most of the people even just working at the stadium are different. It's been 10 years. So be interesting to see what happens. I'm looking forward to uh, being I'm actually probably going to go down on the field for that just to take photos and video of what the, the fans do, because that's going to be very interesting to see. For sure. Um, OK, so we know Oregon's recruited a lot better recently. Uh, any potential impact freshmen uh, from this great 2018 recruiting class? Yeah, I think the the biggest impact uh, from this uh, fall camp is going to be Adrian Jackson, the linebacker from Colorado. I believe he was the top player in Colorado last year. Uh, and he's already making a pretty big impact uh, at linebacker for the Ducks. I think there are some depth issues, but I think if any true freshman is going to step up, I think that's one of the, the names to watch. Another one to watch is uh, Javon Holland, the defensive back from Northern California. Um, I think last week he went on a tear and had an interception during every practice, according to the practice reports that were given. So uh, definitely was impressive and definitely um, one of those guys. So Javon Hall and Adrian Jackson are the two freshmen most likely. The other, the wild card freshman is uh, Brian Addison, uh, just added to the roster less than two weeks ago. Um, 
Ducks aren't sure if they want to play him as defensive back or wide receiver, though he's been working out with the wide receivers a lot since there is a thinner depth at that position right now. So uh, Brian Aston's just an instant impact guy, a highly rated recruit, uh, as you both know. So I, I think those are the kind of the three guys that Oregon are going to is going to look to to play as true freshmen, though. I Cristobal has said with this new redshirt rule, they're going to be putting all the true freshmen in when they can and if they've earned the spot. But a lot of them are looking like they're going to earn their their uh, spots. Yeah, I like Addison a lot. Got to see him a lot in high school and all those events. He always always performed well, played both sides of the ball. He was one of my favorite guys to watch. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think Oregon wants him in the future to be at um, defensive back, but with just such a low depth right now at wide receiver. There's just no real standouts. They did bring in a graduate transfer uh, to Barry Hines. Uh, they did bring in uh, Barry Hines from Wake Forest. They've had some other players kind of step up. They've moved some players around. Brent Schooler, who was on defense uh, his first year at Oregon, has been now an offensive wide receiver. So it'll be interesting to see if he stays there the entirety of the season, just because wide receivers probably where he'll fit until he gets through a year of a college weight program, then he'll go out to play safety. I think it's a depth game right now. And Oregon looks like he's going to play wide receiver. Um, When you're assessing the position battles, what are the ones that you're going to keep an eye on the most in fall camp? Um, What do you think of the the key ones and who do you have winning some of these battles? I think uh, running back is going to be interesting. Tony Brooks James is the seasoned veteran. He's the senior man on the roster. But C.J. Verdell, uh, who redshirted last year, has looked really good through the spring and fall. And so it's going to be interesting to see if he uh, has more reps. I think the other position is defensive back, not just safety or cornerback, but all of those positions. Uh, Senior Ugo Amadi um, is likely to stay at safety. He played cornerback up until middle of last season when they shifted him over due to depth injuries. And with with similar depth issues this year, just not as many scholarship guys at those two positions, um, I think the freshmen are really going to be able to earn those reps. Uh, Thomas Graham and Diamador Lenore um, are both guys that played last year as true freshmen, but with these other true freshmen stepping in and looking very strong already. It'll be interesting to see what Oregon does, if they're going to rotate those guys out or just say, these are the starters. Other guys need to earn their spots. Um, where would you say the overall strength of this team are? I think right now, and it's, it's weird to say after last year, but I think this team looks really conditioned. Um, they, they look more physical and they look more capable than the past Oregon teams. I think, Oregon has had an issue, uh, notably in 2016 and 17, where the Ducks looked a little slow. This year, they looked like a Alabama light, is what I'm going to call it, because uh, they're not Alabama yet. But Mario Cristobal, the day he was hired, put into place his system that he learned from Nick Saban in Alabama. And it, it's really starting now that fall camp's upon us. Those players have had almost nine months, uh, eight months in that program. And the players are starting to look a lot healthier, a lot stronger, a lot more physical. And I think the energy around the team looks really good. Now, now if we want to talk about position strengths, I think the Ducks have probably the best quarterback in the Pac-12. 
Um, I think Khalil Tate gives Justin Herbert a run for his money, but Justin Herbert, when healthy, might be one of the best quarterbacks in college football. The problem is we haven't seen a full season of Justin Herbert, so it's really hard to say that. Uh, you just look at his tape, and there are just some really smart passes, uh, low interception rate. Um, at least that is his fault. I think there's been a lot of receiver issues that are dropped passes that are tipped passes that fall into the um, other team's hands. So it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, how good Justin Herbert looks, but he should be one the strongest point of the Oregon team. And you mentioned earlier that among the weaknesses, wide receiver was uh, potentially one of them. What, what are some of the other weaknesses? And can you go more in depth on uh, receiver and why you think that might be a weakness? I think receiver just last last year, the Ducks um, just looked they, – they didn't have answers. So when – at receiver, when Justin Herbert went down and the Ducks really only had a few guys they could turn to and those guys just weren't main play. Charles Nelson, who was a senior last year, just – was the only slot receiver. The Ducks brought in some help with Tabari Hines, the Wake Forest grad transfer. But Tabari Hines, in his, I think, six games started at Wake Forest, had more yards total than the rest of Oregon's receivers combined. So it, it's just one of those issues of the Ducks don't have the experience, don't have the depth. Uh, and now Tabari Hines is going to miss the first few weeks of the season, it looks like, with an injury. I think he just got back to practice uh, this weekend. So it looks like a position where they're going to need out of depth. So that's why I think Brian Addison will have to jump in and step out. And he looks really good. He just looks like a, a true freshman. He has the body to play it, play wide receiver, but he just needs to learn those skills at a college level. Um, other weaknesses, as we talked about defensive back is going to be, they're just really young. Um, we have a, a handful of true sophomores and a handful of true freshmen that are going to be competing for time there. So it's going to be interesting to see where Oregon decides to go. They've moved a lot of cornerbacks to safety, safety to cornerback. So it's going to be one of those things that the ducks need to figure out. And then I think the biggest weakness um, from coming from 2017 was penalties. Oregon was the most penalized team in the nation last year. Um, and interestingly enough, a lot of those were false starts or illegal motions on the offensive line, Mario Cristobal's unit. So those those have been worked on this spring and fall to get cleaned up. But we'll see how uh, the Ducks actually do because making a third and five, third and ten just is a uh, a tough call for the offense. Pac-12 refs love throwing flags, man. So uh, it's usually usually have like five or six Pac-12 teams in like the bottom ten percent of penalties in the nation so Oregon wins this year or last year yeah Oregon wins this year which I think is just kind of Oregon has always had penalty issues so when you look at the other two last teams in the nation um I think UCF was right there as like the 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 national champions uh I think were the number two worst penalized team so Scott Frost who was at Oregon an offensive coordinator uh a few years ago and then the number third team was USF Willie Taggart's former team so Maybe Man. it was a Willie. T- maybe it was a Willie Taggart issue, <laughs> uh, but it was also Cristobal's unit that was committing a, a number of the penalties. So, uh, Ducks definitely need to clean that up if they want to have any shot. Because there were uh, one or two games where I think ASU was a game where penalties really hurt the Ducks. Uh, I'd love to say I'd love to pretend that UCLA last year was a game that penalties hurt the Ducks. The Ducks hurt the Ducks last year. Just two dumb fumbles. Um, 
but that that's probably the biggest concern I have for Oregon is just cleaning up the gameplay because if you're if you're committing those sloppy penalties, you're not playing um, smart football. You're obviously focused on something else. Kevin, with any other kind of interesting news and notes coming out of fall camp uh, heading into the 2018 season? Uh, doesn't really have to do with the uh, 2018 team, but Oregon is on a tear in recruiting right now. I think that definitely needs to be mentioned. Uh, the coaches are basically done with this 2019 class, so I think that's going to be that's going to be what that's the major storyline around the Oregon program right now. And I think the coaches like that. That recruiting is more talked about than the actual team. Um, I think the the big the big team storyline going into the year is just overall how healthy can the Ducks stay? And um, injuries have always been an issue. Uh, Justin Herbert with that collarbone that put him out for five games last year. Um, right now, the Ducks have a few players who are banged up in practice, but are those injuries real injury, like real serious injuries that are going to keep guys out of games, or are they just precautionary? Uh, don't get hurt during practice injuries. So I think that's going to be the the question mark is, can the Ducks survive their injury bug that they've had the past few years? And uh, we also got a couple of questions from one of our listeners, Anthony. Um, we've been asking everybody this one. Uh, what do you think is the floor and ceiling for Oregon uh, from a record perspective this year? I think 10 wins is the ceiling. I, I just... I think the Ducks can win more like they have the potential. I just don't think it will happen. Like everything needs to go perfectly for Oregon to be an 11 win team. So 10, 10 wins really feels like the ceiling. And I kind of have them going somewhere around like 9.2 is if I was setting the line is where I would put it. Um, but then the ceiling is just Marcus Arroyo will be fully in charge of the plays this year. As offensive coordinator, his his track record when you look at it, calling plays is is kind of interesting. He took over for Jeff Tedford when he was at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. His play calling, um, and the Tampa Bay didn't do that well that season. And this is his first time since in a play calling role. So it'll be interesting to see how he does uh, with the passing game and the run game. I think Jim Mastro is definitely going to be a key advisor for this play calling, but if things don't go to plan, if penalties persist, if Jim Levitt doesn't have his uh, second year at Colorado type uh, defensive surge, like, I mean, when he was at Colorado, his first year was much better than the year before, and his second year was very, very good. Um, if that doesn't come to fruition at Oregon in his second year, I think the Ducks could have some struggles. I think that there's no way they beat Washington Stanford if they struggle. I think they can... Washington State becomes a tough game. Arizona becomes a tough game. Utah becomes a tough game. And right there, there's already five losses. So I think seven and five is kind of the the uh, if things don't go the right way, uh, easily could be six and six. But I think Oregon is a bowl team just with the strength at quarterback and the overall key returners, guys like Jalen Jelks and Troy Dye on defense. The um, I think you already covered this. The, the game you're looking forward most to covering you talk about going down on the field for the UCLA game. So if you want to talk a little about that, or maybe if there's another game you're looking forward to covering too. I think it's just going to be interesting. Like, well, uh, Mario Cristobal this fall and even in the spring said Oregon is Oregon. Um, it's, it's become what Oregon is, is the speed offense, the fast hurry up. 
everyone in college football is basically doing that nowadays. It's going to be interesting just to see like a lot of these kids when you talk to them, like as recruits, they say they come to Oregon because Oregon is what they what they watched as kids is the blur offense. Now the guy who created that's on the other side of the field. Um, Oregon usually has a home field advantage, which like has a home field advantage. Austin Stadium with the the crowd, the way the stadium shaped. Will that be nullified by fans who are just a little confused as why is the guy wearing a visor on the other sideline right now? Um, definitely going to be a weird day. Uh, the other game that I'm most interested in is definitely Washington because that rivalry is just so intense. Oregon won for so many years in a row uh, and then has just laid an egg the past two. So, I mean, they, they got beat 70 21. Uh, which broke the 12-year streak. So it'll be interesting to see how the Ducks come out, since that's a lot more recent, since there are seniors who were part of that 12 that twelve in a row, uh, that last game, and then have lost two in a row. I think the seniors definitely don't want to go out as the team who won their freshman year and then lost all three. Um, I think there's a lot of motivation for that game, especially that it's home, especially that Washington is considered the Pac-12 North favorite right now. Uh, the Ducks just definitely are looking forward to that game, especially like the bye week is going to be a, a huge advantage to Oregon. I think Washington has a tough, uh, what does Washington have the week before? Is blank, it Utah or sure. something? I don't, I don't, they have in front of me. It might be Utah or something, someone tough. Yeah, they have, uh, it's at UCLA, so it's not oh, as UCLA. tough. Okay. Not oh, as tough as I thought, but a little shot of yeah, David. I'm, there. I'm, I'm, I am throwing <laughs> shots at UCLA right now. I mean, we I, honestly, I think Washington's going to be about 17 point favorites in that game. So yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. I just they have to go on the road two weeks in a row, and Oregon gets to sit at home and watch and prep up, lick their wounds if they uh, have any from the Bay Area schools. So I think that's going to be the the key game to watch for Oregon is definitely that that Washington game. Uh, mostly from a fan perspective. I think the fans are really looking forward to that one. Stanford's going to be, I think, their toughest game. So Oregon Oregon has a good schedule. Uh, I think the pieces are there, uh, I think, to do some good. I don't think Oregon is a college football playoff team this year. Uh, maybe if Justin Herbert comes back in 2019, I think there will be enough age. But I, I just read a mock draft this morning that has him as the number one pick overall. So, yeah. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, though. His brother is a 2019 commit right now. And so if the Herbert brothers want to play together, there's always a chance. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think what happened was Larry Scott saw that people were picking Washington to maybe make the college football playoff. So he said, you know what, let's let's put them on the road two weeks in a row and give uh, give Oregon a bye at home like heading into that one. Just to give them a little, you know, a little hiccup ah. in their schedule. You know, I'm shocked that Larry Scott didn't put like. The, didn't put like one of the games on a Friday, yeah. <laughs> so had to go in. Like, didn't put the Oregon Washington game on a Friday while Washington was on the road the week before because that's the Larry Scott special. Yes, that is that is. Well, hey Kevin, right. we appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing all your insights. Uh, really good look at the Oregon Ducks could make a a really nice run in the Pac-12 North. We'll have to see what happens this year. But thanks again for coming on. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. So that was great stuff from our man, Kevin Wade, talking a bunch of Oregon football. So we heard everything we needed to hear from, what did we say Oregon was? Is that the Evergreen State? Where are we with uh, with Oregon? 
Oh, isn't it the Emerald State or something? Or what are we? I don't know. Uh, it's got to be something, right? <laughs> something green. Beaver. Beaver State. Beaver, yeah, I that, think we've had this exact conversation a few different times. Probably. Yeah. We're dummies. Yeah. Uh, we got to get to some questions. Oh. We've got, we've okay. got a bunch. A bunch. Nice. Hey, you, go, you, you can't pump your own gas in Oregon, right? They don't no, like- no, no, no. Uh, well, actually, they might have changed that law. Oh. Or in one of the two states, because I know New Jersey and Oregon, you couldn't. And I think in one of them, they changed the law. Yeah. Crazy. But I'm not I'm not totally, totally sure. It was I, like a kind of a jobs thing, you know, get those people some jobs pumping gas. Right. All right. Well, we've got uh, a lot of questions um, starting off. Uh, our man, Rusty Fence, who I'm still not entirely convinced is not Day <laughs> Allman. <laughs> Uh, he sent us a very long email, um, He's about, kind of verbose. He's a little verbose. It was pretty long, which is part of why I thought it was Hitler day for a little bit there. And I still kind of do. Um, he says, kudos to your intern, Mike Yam interviews. Um, and it's a long email, but very complimentary to, uh, Chloe. You, you, you do the last name. Uh, Chrissy. Christy. Talk- Chrissy. Coppolis. Chrissy Coppolis. Chr- no, okay. Chrissy, I think. There's there's a, something in the middle. It's Chrissy, something Coppolis. I don't know. Okay. Like, yeah. Well, anyway, she did she did some interviews for us at Pac-12 <laughs> Media Day. We played them on the show. He enjoyed those, and he was contrasting them with Mike Yam in, interviews. And I think Yam does a pretty good job. But he uh, he uh, criticized what is a common trope in uh, sports media question asking, and one we're probably all guilty of at various points, which is the what's it like form of question or uh, the yes. um, providing a leading a leading up to a question like he has an example when he asked Justin Herbert about something he uh, he asked the question Yogi and I have spent time with coach Cristobal he is very intense and you guys have obviously rallied around him what's it like having him as your coach so providing essentially the answer in the question and and Rusty here is not not pleased with that. So he was he was happy with the way Chloe asked her questions, you know, just kind of put the question out there and leave it there. And uh, he thought uh, he thought he think he thinks Yam could use some work. Oh, so. OK. I think it's just Chrissy Coppolis, by the way. I think that's it. I think it's just you, Chrissy so Coppolis. you nailed it. You nailed it. But you were uncertain. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we should get Yam on. Maybe he can respond to some of these allegations. Yeah, these these. <laughs> These these brutal allegations from <laughs> from a man named Rusty Fence, followed by and who's who's our next emailer who came in? Uh, I don't know a few minutes after that email. This was uh, Hitler Day Almond. Like he's written to us before. You guys might be familiar uh, with him, but this is look. See, this looks different to me. I'm looking. I can go back and forth between the two emails. It's. I just. I feel there's a difference there. They arrived two hours apart on the same day six days ago. Okay. There's I'm a, just I, I'm just throwing it out there. They both have pseudonyms. I mean, that guy's yes. name isn't Rusty Friends. His name isn't Hitler Day Almond. <laughs> I hope I'm his just name throwing is it Hitler, out there. I hope his name is really Hitler Day Almond. Would um, that be great? That that would be pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, we, I need to get the uh, drop for like the X Files. Um, yeah. Music like whatever, something like that. The truth yeah. is out there. Uh, they, didn't they bring that show back? Yes. Did it get canceled uh, or something, or is it? No, I think they're doing another season of it. Oh, okay. I never like yeah. I don't never really got into that much. Uh, it's, okay, so he says cardinal direction. So what could this possibly mean? <laughs> I was glad to hear that R.J. Abadia rolled his eyes at Trevita Pritchard's agoraphobia and 
accumulation of obnoxious, obnoxiously named titles as much as I do. That was a mouthful. But yep. I, oh yeah. But I disagreed with his <laughs> assertion that Stanford's offense was any more complex than quote hand it to Bryce Love or quote throw it to the slow tall guy and was puzzled that Abadia thinks it would be the best offense David Shaw's ever had. If the reason they they'll be great is just that they return everybody from 2017, then what's the explanation for the trees multiple dud performances last year? 17 points against San Diego state in a loss, 21 points against Wazoo in a loss, 15 against Oregon state. That was a win. Uh, 17 against Cal. There's a couple games where they scored over 30, but never against decent Pac-12 defenses like Washington or either game against USC. My opinion is that any gains they'll make by being a year older are countered by doubling down on Pritchard as OC, who's never proved anything other than humiliating USC as a quarterback, as far as I can tell, has no offensive identity to impart. What do you boys think? Oh, and try not to rely on the logic of, quote, Stanford is Stanford. It's okay when they do it. I suspect you hate it when the Big Ten or SEC fans say similar things. Um, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, Holmgren was there for how many years was he the OC? Basically since um, since David Shaw took over, I believe. Yeah, I think it. I think that. I think that's the case. Yeah, it was pretty consistent as far as that goes. But I mean, I I, I think the point is that they do return ninety six percent or something of the offensive production from last year. So most of these previews and most of, everyone just assumes you're like, oh, how many starters are back? Sometimes you lose the whole offensive line and you're better off. You know, it's hard to say. I wouldn't say did in I, this case. Did, yeah. did I just call Mike Bloomgren? Mike Holmgren, because that's that's a that's an unforced error. Right I just there. rolled with it. <laughs> I I appreciated it. I appreciated. He became it. the head coach of Rice, right? Is that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly not the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, <laughs> right? <laughs> with a walrus mustache. Um, yeah, no, I I I I I'm interested to see this. Um, if it deviates at all, I think it'll double down a lot on Shaw's tendencies as a offensive mind, which I think tend much. I think they tend even slightly more conservative than Harbaugh. I mean, I think the offense itself has tended a little bit more conservative since uh, Harbaugh departed. And I would imagine this with a green OC is going to be even more so. So I'm not expecting them to get a whole lot better. I thought that was a little outlandish. But with KJ Costello, with those big receivers, with Bryce Love back, I, I don't I don't think it'll be bad this year. But I'm interested to see what it looks like the following year when Bryce Love is gone. Yeah, when there is a little bit of changeover and they don't have everything that they had from the previous year, I, I'm interested to see what this looks like two years from now. I think this year, just with the returning talent, it's going to be fine. Um, but I, I don't know. Is there is there a point at which that offense just is kind of, uh, you know, maybe run its course a little bit and they need to try something different? I don't know. I think what Hitlerday needs to understand is, look, dude, Stanford is Stanford. It's okay when they replace. They're offensive court. They're Stanford. Like, do you understand that? Like, maybe you don't get that. So, thanks, Hitler Day. Oh, God. All right. Uh, we got an email from Frank. Uh, he says, Cal quarterback Joe Ayub. Ryan and Dave, I heard you drop the name of long-forgotten backup Cal quarterback Joe Ayub the other day. Well, you probably did not know that a couple of years ago he set and still holds the world record paper airplane toss of 221 feet and 10 inches. 
and he has a link to the video proof. Wow. Wow. I didn't know Imagine. that was a thing. Do you think it helps to have arm strength when you're doing something like throwing in a paper airplane, or is it more about just touch? God. Uh, I mean, do you have to... I'd have to look at this. Like, is it something you build? Because if there's, if you have to build it yourself, then there's like some engineering factor of that too, aerodynamics yeah. and all that. But at some point too, I think, you know, getting that, if you can get it up in the air faster and let it float longer, that's probably, my guess would be having a good enough arm where you can get it up high enough and then let it, you know, float. Obviously there's no, there's, <laughs> you're not propelling it any other way, but what you're throwing with your arm. So I would assume that I have something to do with it. Yeah, I would guess so, but I'm 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 interested to know if anyone out there is a paper airplane aficionado, like you know the whole deal with these competitions. I'd love to know more. That would be interesting. I think I, I was watching an office rerun where they were doing that competition in the uh, in the the warehouse. If you remember that, were you an office fan or no? No, God no. Uh, God no. I never I never watched it, but then we started watching the reruns like in the middle, and uh, I kind of liked it. I thought it was funny. Um, it, okay. So we got this one from Rob in Minneapolis. He says, AKA North of the wall. Is that <laughs> game of Thrones? Little game of Thrones reference for you. Is that what that is? I don't, I don't watch game of Thrones. See, well, there you go. I thought see, we, were we deviate. About- you watch the office. I watch game of Thrones and never the twain shall meet. Uh, is Mario Cristobal, a good head coach, Ryan and Dave. I come to you not as a Husky fan, but as a simple PAC 12 football pilgrim, Seeking the unbiased truth at the altar of your podcast. My question for you is simple. Is Mario Cristobal a good head coach? Up to this point, I've only heard from people who are associated with the Huskies or the Ducks uh, to tackle this question. Getting an unbiased answer has been near impossible. Husky fans will no doubt point you to his ultimately failed run at FIU 27 and 47 as an indicator that he is not a good head coach. Duck fans will then reference his Sun Belt Coach of the Year award in 2010, followed by three years as Alabama's assistant head coach, which included a national championship win and loss as evidence that he is, or perhaps more appropriately, that he has the quote-unquote, well, it's uh, in italics, potential to be a good head coach. There's no arguing that he's a phenomenal recruiter. He was 24-7 Sports National Recruiter of the Year in 2015 and is putting together one hell of a class at Oregon this year, they're currently ranked five in the composite score. But as Jim Mora and others have taught us, bringing in top talent does not directly translate to wins on the field. To be fair, I understand that he's only been at Oregon's helm for one bowl game, a loss, and an offseason. But I guess what I'm looking for here is an honest take on whether or not he has the ability as a head coach to take Oregon back to the level of competing for national championships. Is he going to find success or is he going to crash and burn and turn out to be a total fraud? There's always a middle ground. But please go with your gut feelings on this and pick the more likely extreme scenario. Perennial top 10 team or he's out in three or fewer seasons as well-informed individuals who don't have a duck, uh, dog duck in this fight. I would love to hear your takes. Thanks for the last Rob in Minneapolis. Oh, boy. That was a mouthful, so he's asking too. So he's asking us to pick the extremes. Yes. Either, either a top 10 program or out in three or fewer seasons. I think with the way they're recruiting, the slightly more likely option is perennial top 10 team. But I don't think either of these is likely. You think uh, you think it's more of a middle? Yeah, for sure. But if I'm having to pick one or the other, the gun to my head, I'm saying, oh, yeah, they're recruiting at like a top 10 ish level. They'll probably, you know, it's more likely they'll end up a top 10 team than be out in three or four fewer seasons. Right. Right. 
So, but if you're asking me what I think about Mario Cristobal as a coach, I think the jury is completely out because FIU, yeah, wasn't good, but it was also like a completely new program or more or less completely new when he took it over. So not being gangbusters to start out with is, is fine. But also he had, uh, six years there and the sixth year he was three and nine. If you're a great and elite head coach, by your sixth year, you should not be having three and a nine seasons. So I think it I don't know if it's definitive that he's not an elite coach, but it's trending that way for me. The question is whether he can steer a, a decent, a, a good program and be good enough that they can uh, get into the top 10. And I don't I just don't know. I mean, that track record doesn't scream elite to me. Twenty seven and forty seven, even at a completely new program. Could you see Nick Saban going three and nine in his sixth season anywhere? Yeah. Like you, you gave him Rutgers. I don't think they're ever going three <laughs> and nine. I mean, it's just I, I that that does not scream, you know, super great to me. I kind of think I think I'll do pretty well there. Um, but, you know, that's more of a middle ground thing. I think I'll go if I have to pick an extreme, I'll go crash and burn uh, out in three years. And here's the kind of reason why I think they have recruited really well. Um, but, you know, to get recruiting rankings in July and August are different than the end of the year. Uh, that all changes. Uh, people come in. But I think when you've seen teams emerge in the Pac-12, it's usually uh, a give and take thing where, well, this team was good. You know, when Oregon was good, when they beat Washington like 12 times in a row or something like that was crazy. Um, you can do that. You know, Washington's really good now. Um, it's not like maybe Oregon's good, but will they be better than Washington? Uh, and Stanford is really good, you know, so it's like you have two powers to go with and, you know, whoever else can emerge, you know, we'll see how Cal does. Um, I think it might be a little bit tougher, especially in the North to, you know, be this Phoenix from the ashes and come back and, and be like a Chip Kelly, Oregon team. I think that'll be tough. And then, you know, USC is, is back. Uh, you know, there, there's not sanction years anymore. We'll see with, you know, Clay Helton, if he ends up being the guy, but they're still recruiting at this ridiculously high level, you're going to be, you know, you're going to, if you beat them, you're going to beat a more talented team every single time you got to beat them. So I think it's going to be tougher to come back and be, you know, a, a top four team all the time, make the playoffs and things like that. So if I, I kind of think they'll be good on the better side, but if I have to pick an extreme, I'll go crash and burn. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not too far off from that. Um, all right, we got another email from Rob, who um, this is more of a personal one, but he also uh, uh, listened to the dollop episode about the 1908 Paris to New York uh, car race and said it was hilarious. So, um, yes, I did. I, I listened to that, too. Did you like it? I did. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, the uh, I tried to listen to another one. And it was one that the audio didn't work and they had to use like someone. It was a live one. It was like the most recent one. Um, I don't know if you saw it yet, but like basically they didn't forgot to record it. So they used like the audio of someone in the audience. Oh, God. No, that's awful. Yeah. Don't listen to that. I, um, I shouldn't have they, done that for my second. So I got like halfway through and I think I stopped. But uh, yeah, no, it's so pretty funny. I don't think their not, political views really align with mine, but they're pretty funny. Well, and the funny note from Rob is funny story, though. I'm pretty. Li- uh, so he said. Um, uh, he said, uh, should be, a, he's, he's going to the live show for them in Minneapolis next week, but, um, he said, should be a lot of fun. And then he says, my brother who has emailed you guys in the past is also really into history. And I got him turned on to it briefly with the 1908 Paris to New York episode. Funny story though. I'm pretty liberal and he's very conservative. So like you insinuated to Ryan, he ended up not appreciating some other episodes. <laughs> we got a laugh out of that. Nice. So, 
pretty cool. Yeah, I'll try to listen uh, to some more though. But there was fun, and that guy, like the one guy, um, not the guy, who, the guy who does the the analysis, like the color guy. There's like you uh-huh. got the play by play. The color guy sounds like um, if you ever watched like King of Queens. There, I forget the actor's name, but he's like the sidekick. He's one of the sidekicks of the guy. But I looked him up, and it wasn't the same guy. But he sounds like him. Oh. Cool. I'd have to look at. I forget who his name was, but I don't know it was, it was interesting. Uh, oh, Patton Oswalt. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, I'll have to Google that. What's his name? Pat. Patton Oswalt. Oswalt. Let me look it up. Uh, yes, that's him. He sounds like him. Does that is that does that make sense? Well, uh, probably they both got kind of a little bit of nasal thing going on in their voice, but uh, Patton Oswalt has also been on that show. Oh so. yes, okay. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to tell them apart then. There you go. Nice. All right. Uh, so that was good. Uh, you want me to just read this next one since I didn't really read that one? Sure. All right. Uh, from Frank, he says, Arizona may be doomed. Oh, man. Uh, David, David Ryan, your interview with the Arizona writer when you featured the desert teams was shocking. He said that new coach Kevin Sumlin planned to rein in quarterback Khalil Tate, who threw for 15, who threw for 1,591 yards and ran for 1,411 more as a sophomore in 2017 in not a full season of starts. He was the Pac-12 player of the week four weeks in a row, which had never been done. Someone needs to let Tate do his thing all year and concentrate on defense. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't. I didn't, didn't really come away from that feeling that you know someone was going to you know try to limit what Khalil Tate's going to do. Um, but yes, I think you got to let him do his thing. And I think Kevin Sullivan's proven that he can do that. I mean, so I, I, we've seen some really athletic quarterbacks thrive under him, especially in the first year. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be too worried about Khalil Tate. I'd be wor- more worried about that defense. I think they got one of the defensive backs back though, right? Like I, I think Jason was saying there was only two corners on scholarship. I think they got a third one back. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but all right. The Curious Case of Jake Browning. This should be good. Uh, Hi, Ryan and Dave. This is Mark in Torrance. As always, I love the podcast, and thanks for all the great fall camp coverage. That's just down the street for me. Uh, Dave, I noticed that you recently retweeted a link to this scathing scouting report on Jake Browning. You guys obviously poke a lot of fun at Browning and his quote-unquote noodle arm, etc., which I find hilarious every time. Uh, as a UCLA fan who hasn't seen much of Washington or Browning play, I'm totally perplexed by this whole scenario at Washington. Jake Browning, who the general consensus says is pretty terrible, is currently <laughs> a multi-year starting quarterback at the best program in the Pac-12. He's going to set every record, too, for Washington. Oh, yeah. Like. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the last two and a half years, Washington has been to the college football playoff, lost by one score to Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl, and are now widely picked to win the Pac-12 Again this year, possibly making another playoff run. This weird bad QB slash good team paradox just seems so antithetical. What is that? Antithetical to any successful Pac-12 team over the last twenty odd years, as you touched upon on the podcast. That said, I'd love your assessment on the following: Why is Jake Browning so quote unquote bad? Isn't that Chris Peterson's fault to some degree? If he's an elite coach, which he is. Uh, why has he done such a poor job developing Browning over the several years? Well, I would say Jake Browning isn't bad. The what we're ma- mostly making fun of is he's not first uh, elite, like he's not that level of player, and second, he's obviously a completely non-starter as like a pro prospect. Um, but I think as like a college quarterback, he's fine. 
Um, I think he's been buoyed by a lot of surrounding talent, uh, but he's fine. And for a guy with like, uh, I mean, he really doesn't have much arm strength. And for a guy without much arm strength, I mean, he's done pretty well against what? 80% of teams they play. Yeah. It's just, it's just whenever he's faced against a defense that has a little bit of speed and athleticism to it, uh, he, it, you know, he turns into a little bit of a pumpkin. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, the the Seattle Times, I believe it is, they did a really nice piece on him where he talked about it. He knows he reads that stuff. He knows people are doubting him. And that's sort of a chip on his shoulder thing for this year. He's a really good. I think he's a really good college quarterback. Like, don't ever. I, I hope, you know, we make fun of him, like we said, but it doesn't. I think a lot of times when you're looking at that level, you're projecting what's going to happen at the next level. And you look at the guy, it's like, yeah, he's probably not going to be a great NFL guy just because he doesn't look like that. Where like a Justin Herbert. Yes. He looks like, boom, he's going to be a you know big time NFL prospect. But I think that's sort of Chris Peterson's way. I don't think it's his fault. He's, he's got a guy that's going to run his system and not make as many mistakes and do the right thing just because he can't, you know, whip a ball out from sideline to sideline and, and, you know, like as quickly as you'd like an NFL scout would like to see that doesn't mean he's not a, a good or really good college quarterback. I think he is. Um, but you know, I mean, you just, fun. you, you did just say really good. And okay. I think that might be overstating the case. <laughs> he's I fine. Mean, he's got a really he's good fine. record in college. He, there's, there's, there's worse guys out there. Yeah. He's fine. Do you ever see the uh, guy that's like this hardest working, like, you know, inside linebacker that yeah, walk-ons makes... dominate practice all the time. Right, yeah, but no. even in games, like in college games, but there's like no way they'll ever perform at the next level. Just they just don't have the physical. Right, tools. but that's kind of a different case. Like I don't think he's like out there dominating. Really, it's more just uh, he's fine. He had a truly elite <laughs> receiver his first year starting, and that made him look a little bit better than he is. Last year was probably more his level of play, and he was fine. You know, he was out there fine. Um, he's not going to embarrass you except against like an Alabama or USC or one of these teams with like really elite athletes on defense. But, you know, against, against some scrubby team, he, he's got the ball placement. He's got that lofty deep ball. I mean, he can throw it to fast receivers and relatively accurately and, uh, get him the ball. It's just, I, I, I wouldn't want him having to make tough throws in a, in a, in a, in a big game. You know, last time I had to defend Jake Browning, I told you guys, I gave you the truth. He is a top 10 quarterback in the Pac-12. I still agree <laughs> with that. Uh, but I, I just got the feeling from Mark. It's like, look, he's not a guy. He's not like stumbling over his own two feet. Like, well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, he's a D1 quarterback. It's right. not like he's going to go over there and trip over his own shoelaces. Right. But, I mean, he's he's a he's a guy who incredibly has started in the Pac-12 for, you know, this will be his third year starting. So, I mean, he's not – that. you can't be awful and be that guy. Um, yeah. But I think he's just fine. I think they'll do better once uh, they have, you know, Jacob Eason in there. Maybe. Um, yeah. I, I think they'll they'll suddenly get plus play from the quarterback position, which will require less elite play from the wide receiver spot. Yeah, and he, he wanted to know like, is he going to be replaced by a more talented up and comer? He's not going to replace. So that's no. Uh, yeah, but that's hopefully Mark that that kind of answers your question there. But he's you know, Dave hates him, but I think he's pretty good. All right, we got uh, a very vulgar email from 89 Ute that I, I, I am just going to choose not to read. Okay. Um, but it's it's great stuff. Um, it's a response to Bernie uh, from last week who criticized us for using the F word. And as you might imagine, 89 Ute went ham with the F word in here. Um, There's a lot of F words, I see. You know, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll 
we'll, we'll keep it relatively clean. I, I mean, see the word promise. penis. I see putts. I, there's all kinds yeah, of yeah. interesting language in this email. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on here. Um, I appreciate the sentiment, 89 Ute. I do find it, um, you know, I, I, I think people who try to clean up language are, you know, maybe a little bit holier than thou in the whole thing. But we do have some younger listeners, as several people have mentioned several times, and it doesn't hurt us not to drop a few F-bombs on here so we can avoid it. Yeah. Um, but if, I, I am I'm with you on the sentiment, 89 Ute. Real quick, uh, if you ask someone to drink a glass of bleach, what does that mean? Like, is that bad? That's asking them to kill themselves. Oh, well, okay. So that, geez, he's, he got dark. Oh yeah. No, he, he was going, I, I, again, appreciate the sentiment, <laughs> not going to convey it to the masses here. Um, but that was good here. I'll read, I'll read Nick's okay. uh, email. He sent this as a voicemail, but we're going to read it because, uh, we got to actually jet here pretty quickly. Um, this is from Nick. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P Oregon schools questions. So we didn't actually ask these of the Oregon people, but we'll answer them here. How long do you think it takes Mario Cristobal to get back to the Oregon days under Chop Kelly? He says Chop Kelly. I don't know if that's just a witticism or if he just, you know, mistyped. I'm going to say witticism. Chop Kelly. Why yeah. not? <laughs> 2019 or 2020. Uh, I think it's more likely this year than any of the other two years. Because of the Justin Herbert factor. Yeah, uh, Justin Herbert, I think the year two of Levitt, I don't know if Levitt's going to be there too much longer. He'll probably get a head coaching job again soon enough. So I would say I would say this year, not this year or bust, but I think this year is the mo- most likely of the three where they end up like a top 10-ish team. Yeah, of, of those three years. And I, I already, from the previous email, I already picked them to crash and burn. So I don't, I don't think he's getting to Chop Kelly status. You realize you're doing that on the Oregon show. I know we're recording this, taking you behind the curtain. We're recording this over two days, so it sounds a little weird. That's why. Um, yes. This is the Oregon show that you're saying Oregon's going to crash and burn. Just FYI. Right. So is okay. Kevin Wade going right. to send me a text? And Yeah. Okay. I, I just All had right. to pick and a side. Like I think they're going to be definitely above average, but I think yep. it's more yep. likely to crash and burn than to be Chop Kelly level. Yeah, <laughs> I hear that. All right, and then he <laughs> says, Oregon State and Angie. Um, I think he meant Angie, but he's yeah. got it. whatever. Uh, Angie Machado, you seem like a lovely lady who unfortunately has to cover the dumpster fire known as the Beavers. When do you guys break the losing streak? How long is the losing streak gone? And is this Larry Scott and the Pac-12 Network fault? The Oregon State Beavers played like garbage last year, as Ryan and Dave would tell the podcast. I don't think we'd uh, just, say that's the reason that they played bad, right? That's, no. It's more about the elite teams putting you know terrible – Scheduled. I just found out today uh, doing a USC podcast, Dave, there's two programs in the country that don't have back-to-back home games all year. It's uh, West Virginia and USC. So more. <laughs> it's that, that's kind of weird. Like only two teams would not have back-to-back home games. And of course, one of them's in the Pac-12. Um, yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't. Wait. I, what was that? And Nick sent this in like three different parts. So he has two voicemails and he also sent the same email twice, but the second email is longer. Oh, should we look at the longer one? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, yeah, Angie is a, she's a lovely person. Wonderful. Uh, I love to have her as a colleague. She does a great job up there for the beeves. Okay. Yeah, she does a great job. Um, all right. So I'm reading this. Uh, so he also says the shout out to Ryan, always on vacation, Abraham and David Daniel Brian Woods. Get rid of that beard. LOL. Uh, he said, I like the Bay Area podcast. Well, I just love the Bay Area in general because I lived there as a youth for a few years. And there's no doubt the weekender for both LA schools is a great road trip. By the way, I expect both Bay Area schools to be pretty solid next year. 
competing for second and third place in the conference. Then he asked the two Oregon questions. And uh, I think Angie would say uh, Southern Utah is when they win a game, which is like the second game of the year. Yeah. So there you go. And then he has one more question. What is your take on Urban Meyer, the Oregon State suckies, the accusations around the coach uh, with domestic violence and Tom Hurd, Herman's possible involvement? Oh, God, I, I don't care about the Herman thing. Um, I think the domestic violence stuff is gross. I think Urban Meyer is gross. Um, I don't know if they're going to end up firing him. I think the whole thing is disgusting. I think it is, too. And, uh, you know, if you see Brenda Tracy at all on um, Twitter, she's very, you know, she's, she's a very active, um, you know, advocate for victims of uh, domestic violence, sexual violence. And she was just there like a couple weeks before. And for Urban Meyer to say there's a zero to- tolerance policy and all that, you know, if you're not going to have her and, and, you know, have her there and talk to everyone and, uh, and, you know, you don't want to embrace that. I mean, that's fine, but it's so hypocritical to do it the other way to say, Hey, there's zero tolerance policy, but I've kept this guy around for six years and I know he beats the crap out of his wife. Like that's not, you know, there's a zero nothing. tolerance policy unless I know you or have some like vested interest in your future, then yeah. it's like complete tolerance and push it under the rug. No, and- it's gross. We know it's all gross, though. I mean, whenever you have these big time head coaches and these football schools, you get gross stuff that happens. Um, There was a great story this week. I think Dan Wetzel wrote it um, about I don't know if it's a great story, but it's a worthwhile point. When you have all this secrecy around these programs, in addition to the, you know, basically raising these guys to sainthood for winning a stupid game, uh, you end up with real world implications that are crazy and awful and um you know, Penn State's the obvious and most horrific example, but this is the everyday stuff that happens. I mean, look at this. Look at DJ Durkin at Maryland. It's ridiculous. I mean, you need to have oversight of all of these things. You know, uh, newspapers, for all of their funding issues, they still fund sports departments. They still fund, you know, journalists covering these teams. And, I mean, especially a public university, access to that stuff should be mandated. Like, you should have access to practice See what these guys are doing because too many times these sorts of things happen like at Maryland, which I'm kind of going off on a tangent. But, you know, with with Ohio State, there should be oversight out of that program. There should not just be the head coach making unilateral decisions about things that get reported to him. Um, It's yeah, it's gross. The whole thing's gross. Yeah. And and the weird thing about the Urban Meyer stuff is usually you're if you're giving someone a pass, it's to help you win games. Um, you know, your star quarterback or whatever it is, whoever, you know, you don't want to, this is going to hurt your team. In this case, you're talking about an assistant that was like most likely below average, didn't really do anything that well. The only reason was the family ties, the, you know, being the grandfather of, I mean, the grandson of Urban Meyer's mentor. Like that's the reason that seems like the only reason to keep him around. So that's even more weird, Dave. It's not like you got this recruiter that, you know, this, this guy can bring in every, five star in the Ohio, Pennsylvania area. So you need to keep him on staff. Like it wasn't like that at all. He was the lowest paid assistant really just kept around because of those, that loyalty factor, which is, it's just even weirder. It's like, it's not even helping you win. You're probably hurting your team more than helping and you still keep him around. No, it's a, it's a power ego and arrogance thing. He has the power to cover it up. He has the ego to think that he can get away with it. And you know, the arrogance to think he can lie about it in a meeting. It's just all that it's just it, it, when you make these guys into essentially feudal lords in charge of their little domain in this this stupid sport, I mean, that we all know and love, but it's a stupid game and it ends up 
affecting so many real world lives. It's just, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's disgusting. So there you go, Nick. And then he also says, uh, one thing I would change for this conference, which I think is reasonable is to go to an eight game conference schedule. I get every school wants to play in LA to recruit, but it hurts the conference just based on one more loss in conference and one less easy win with a weak non-conference foe. So more teams can be bowl eligible. I know this has been mentioned, but as the most realistic to compete with the sec, that's all and fight on. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't love an eight-game conference schedule. I get the reasons for parity. My whole thing is I think everyone should do nine games and they should have an overseeing body that mandates that, but yeah. whatever. No, I agree. I think I think nine games for everyone would be great, but I'm cool with, hey, go back to eight until everyone else goes to nine. I don't mind that at all. Why should we give in? They're the ones who suck. <laughs> well, not making the playoff, <laughs> going one and eight in bowl games. That's one reason to give in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's it. We have no more questions. All right, let's wrap it up. We got. I got to go out to practice. Dave, you got lots of kid stuff to do. You know, busy things. Just busy it, damn. It is real busy right now. Like fall camp is just kind of a crazy time. Yep, but. it sure is. All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. We're the Podcast of Champions. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.